Well, good morning. It's good to hear everybody talking and chattering. That's, uh, honestly, that's, that's half the reason we come to church, is to connect with one another and to have conversation, hopefully build one another up, occasionally tear one another down, like my friend Wesley did in front of everyone today. I normally would come back with like a really smart and witty comment, but uh, he's not wrong. Uh, (laughs) I'll tell you what, I've been praying that the Lord would keep me humble and just, you know, that I would stay humble before Jesus and nothing is more humbling as a man than having a tired dugout of other men laugh at you when you drop a fly ball. Just, and it just guts you from the inside, right? So I'm not good, but, uh, <laughs> but that's okay. That's okay. And so we're going to stop talking about softball and hopefully get to something that I know a little bit more about, and that's preaching God's word. We are, see what I did there? All right? You see the segue? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. So we are starting a new series. Man, that was, that was not funny, right? I'm not funny either. <laughs> I'm not good at softball. I'm not funny. That's why we're just going to preach. Okay. We are kicking off, well, actually, we kicked off a new series last week, talking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, when Jesus came and he came preaching, you say, well, what did Jesus preach? He preached the gospel of the kingdom. So I thought we'd take a whole summer series here to explore what it means to live under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. We defined the kingdom of God last week as such from a book, uh, Seek First. The kingdom of God is God's reign through God's people over God's place. That's why when the Pharisees asked, when are you going to bring the kingdom? Jesus can accurately say, well, the kingdom is in your midst because the king has arrived and he is ruling through his people over his place. So we're going to unpack that throughout the the whole summer here. What does it mean to live in this already aspect of the kingdom? Because there's a future aspect that's not here, right? Jesus was here, but then he left. He's still ruling and reigning in heaven, and we can experience some of that rule rule and reign now, but not all of it. So we're kind of trying to navigate between the already and the not yet. So we're working through that. Last week, we learned that instead of trying to preserve our idea of the good life, We must all learn to seek God's kingdom and his righteousness first. We learn that if we surrender to God as our king, then he will give us his good life. So instead of seeking to define right and wrong for ourselves, we seek God's kingdom first and his righteousness to live under his rule and reign as king. We let him define right and wrong, and he promises to give us his good life. Now, that idea is really easy to wrap our minds around in theory. The problem is, living under a king in practice is incredibly difficult. And that's what I want to talk with you about this morning. You see, most of us would rather rule ourselves than be ruled by God. We want the benefits and blessings of the kingdom, which is what all government and education, that's what all of humanity is trying to do, to bring in this utopian system where everybody's equal and everybody shares their possessions and we all get along and have peace and prosperity. They want the benefits of the kingdom, but nobody seems, or not many people at least, seem to want to have the king. They, want, they don't want to have the king. And that's because most of us don't trust Jesus to be a good king. We've all known kings and politicians in the past, right? And most of them are like these, this smug couple, right? Arrogant, crushing people, using their power and authority, right? We've, we've known power people. 
throughout our lives, whether it's a politician or a king or a little bit closer to home. You can think of that teacher or coach that was just a real bear to deal with. Maybe some of you went to Catholic school. You had a nun. She taught on hell like she was born and raised there, right? Just a tyrant, okay? We've known these people. Maybe you've had a boss that's just a real piece of work, constantly reminding you, you know who's in charge, right? If they have to do that, they're probably not a very good boss. Good bosses, they don't have to remind people that they have power and authority. You know that, but you want to come under that because of the way they lead, because of the way that they rule. But the problem is most people don't rule that way. When we come across people with power, most times they're abusive. Sadly, if we bring this even a little closer to home, Father's Day for some of you might be an incredibly difficult period or a difficult, difficult holiday to celebrate because you've known your dad who was supposed to have power and authority in your home and he used it in a horrible way. Maybe he didn't use it at all. It was just completely absent. Maybe he used it to crush you and criticize you. I don't know. That's, it's painful, right? So we've, we've known people of power, but they're abusive. So we, we struggle when we think about Jesus as king. And that's what I want to do this morning. This isn't your classic, like, here's three steps to do this and, you know, you'll, you'll be happy. This is, I just want to set Jesus before you as a king. And I'm going to pray and ask that the Holy Spirit would give you eyes to see and ears to hear who Jesus is. If you grab a hold of who Jesus is, you're not going to want independence from him. You're going to want intimacy with him. And so that's going to be my goal today. We struggle with this king thing. I was a pastor out in Cleveland at a, a bigger church. This guy named Alistair Begg, he's a Scottish guy. He's got this thick Scottish accent. I won't butcher it for you. It was super epic though. Every time he preached, if you just closed your eyes, like you could, you could see Mel Gibson on a horse with the war paint just declaring the freedoms of Christ, right? It was epic. So it was, it was funny, or it was fun to listen to him. But every once in a while, in a meeting, he would bring up his days back in Scotland and what it was like to live in England, and it was glorious, and oh, we just loved the queen and all of this stuff. And he just gushed this respect and just an admiration for the queen. And I, I was wondering, like, dude, you know you're sitting in a room full of Americans, right? Like, we have no idea what you're talking about. When we talk about the Queen of England, it's on the 4th of July, and we blow stuff up in celebration that we are independent from the crown, right? That's how we feel as Americans. We call it independence, freedom. England and the crown called it rebellion. Called it rebellion. That's what she says on July 4th. Happy Treason Day, peasants, right? Man, my jokes. These were funny in first service. <laughs> they were. People laughed. You guys are just sticks in the mud. That's what, I, that's what it is. That's what it is, right? But this idea, this is embedded in us as, as Americans. We hate the idea of being under someone's thumb. We were founded on the idea that our individual desires are chief above everything. That our personal choice is our authority. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. This is America. That our freedom is, uh-huh. <laughs> that our freedom is independence. That's how we operate. As a country, this has worked for us, right? Contrary to what some folks might say in our media, America is a pretty good stinking place to live. It is. 
It's why people from all across the world are flocking to our borders. Why people still want to come here. They desire the freedoms we enjoy. The independence we enjoy. They want to live in a place where you have, at least you have the opportunity to start at the bottom and get higher up in life. This is work for us. The problem is that this mentality, this rugged individualism, it does not transfer well into matters of faith. Why? Because God is a king. His form of government is not a representative democracy. He doesn't gather all the angels around and every up, up in heaven. It's like, hey, let's figure out a constitution. And what do you guys think should be sin? Let's take a vote on it. That's not God's form of government. It's not a libertarian government where everybody just does what's right in their own eyes. Hey, you do you, bro. That's not what God is saying up in heaven. He's like, no, I'm in charge. I set the rules. God's government, his kingdom, is a monarchy. This means that independence, that thing that we call freedom as Americans, independence in God's kingdom is not freedom. It's actually rebellion. And it leads to slavery. Sin, a lot of us think about sin. We think about sin as doing wrong things, as breaking rules. That's not quite accurate. Sin is actually rebellion against the ruler. I recommended this book to you in last week's message, Seek First by Jeremy Treat. In that, he says, sin is our attempt to dethrone God and replace him with ourselves, where individual desires reign. Personal choice is our authority, and freedom is defined by independence. The irony is that in all our attempts to rule ourselves, we end up submitting to the rule of another. He continues, he says, A throne is never left empty. Sin is not only rebellion against God, it's a replacement of God. We were made to find satisfaction and meaning and security in God, but when we look for those things... In money, fame, sex, or career, we slap our maker in the face. It's a declaration that we want all of the blessings that God provides, but we don't want him himself. The Bible refers to these God replacements as idols. An idol is anything you worship or live for in place of God. It's whatever sits on the throne of your heart, ruling your life and directing your desires and dreams decisions. He continues, he says, you see, we're all ruled by something. Many people are ruled by their careers. They worship success. They sacrifice their family and friends to serve their employers, the almighty American dollar. For others, having the right physical appearance rules their life. They worship at the altar of bodily perfection, sacrifice their time and money for gym memberships to achieve the perfect look. They wait vigilantly, vigilantly to be noticed and adored. This last one is a real tough one to swallow. Others worship their children. Their world revolves around their kids and their activities. They sacrifice their faith involvement as well as their marriages as they parade their kids from here to there awaiting applause at how great little Johnny is at this sport or that spelling bee. If their kids succeed, well, then they've arrived. They'll be recognized as a great parent, which for them has become their purpose and meaning in life. Countless idols 
fill the marketplace of human desire. We all have this yearning for approval, for longing, security, craving for fame or wealth. But do not be deceived, Jeremy says. Anything that rules over you other than God will be a harsh king. It will make promises that it cannot keep. It will disappoint you and then blame you, telling you it's all your fault. Whatever you look for or whatever you look to in order to satisfy you will end up enslaving you. The reign of God brings freedom. The reign of everything else leads to slavery. So this morning, my goal, my hope, is to set King Jesus before you. I want you to recognize him as king, and I want you to desire to realign your life under his rule and under his reign. That's today's big idea. Jesus is king. Recognize and realign. My hope is that you will see Jesus not like the kings of this earth who use their power to abuse. That is not who King Jesus is. Quite the opposite. Jesus, although he is the most powerful person, most powerful king to ever walk on this earth, he will not force us into submission. Instead, he uses his power to love and serve us and shares his power and authority with us. You see, not only does Jesus want to set us free from sin and death, He wants to offer us the opportunity to rule and reign with him from heaven. It's crazy. I believe if you meet King Jesus as he is, you won't desire independence from him. You'll desire intimacy with him. So I want to look with you at the first chapter of Mark, Mark chapter 1. I'm going to read it, and then we'll go back through it and unpack how we can see Jesus as king in this text. Mark chapter 1, it says this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. In all of the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit." In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven came, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness And he was in the wilderness for 40 days, just like the Israelites were in the wilderness for 40 years, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent 
and believe the gospel. The text continues, I'll summarize it for you. After he declares his kingdom, that it's arrived, Jesus does a couple other things. He goes and he seeks followers. He goes to the, uh, to the Sea of Galilee and he calls out to a couple fishermen, James and John and Peter and Andrew. He performs a miracle. He commands the fish of the sea to jump into their nets, so much so that their boat almost sinks. And then he says, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. He takes what they've always known, the passion that God has placed into them, the giftings that he's given them. He said, listen, I made you this way. You guys know how to fish. We're going to use all those gifts, all of those passions. I'm just going to repurpose them for use in my kingdom. You know how to fish for fish. I'm going to teach you how to fish for men. Come, follow me. And they do. Then in verse 23, Jesus starts teaching in the synagogue. And he's teaching in a way that nobody's ever heard. With power, with authority. There's a gentleman in the synagogue who's demonized. It says, the text says he has an unclean spirit. And he calls out, the spirit calls out. This demon takes over this person's body uses his vocal cords to speak to Jesus. Talk about a violation of a person's dignity. That's how Satan treats his subjects. He doesn't care about you. He'll force himself on you, into you, use you however he wants to. This demon cries out from an individual, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The Holy One of God. Verse 25 says Jesus rebukes the spirit. And immediately, he's cast out from that individual. He sets that gentleman free. Then in verse 31, Jesus comes into the house of one of his disciples who has chosen to follow him, to realign his life under his rule and reign. He comes to Jesus. Jesus, you've called me to go out, to venture with you, to preach the good news of the kingdom. I'm going to leave my wife for a while. I got to let you know, my mother-in-law, she's sick. Do you care? Jesus comes into his home. He brings the rule and reign of his kingdom and he speaks to that fever. He rebukes it, Luke 4 says. And instantly, Peter's mother-in-law is healed. She gets up and she begins to serve them. And later that night, the text goes on and says that many crowds show up and Jesus heals many who were sick with various diseases and he casts out many demons. And the text says in the end of verse 30 or 31, it says, Jesus would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. It's a pretty cool text. I want us to stop and think now in terms of kingship around this text. We don't really get the king thing, right? We blow stuff up celebrating the independence from the king. We don't understand kingship. We don't know what it's like for the king or the queen to come to town. But we do get presidency, okay? We know what it's like for a president to come to town. The president came to town in Toledo a few months back, I think, right? We know what happens before the president comes to town. The secret service show up. They secure things. They tell people, the news people, the media, hey, the, the president's coming to town. They, they lock down roads, they lock down airspace. It's kind of a circus. They used to do this with kings, too. They called them heralds. They would send out a herald in front of the king 
Go into the village. Make way for the king. Here comes the king. Lay out the red carpet for the king. Let's honor him, right? Look at how Mark 1 starts. John the Baptist is set out ahead of Jesus' ministry. Why? Preparing the way for the Lord. Preparing the way for the king. Make way, he says. He cries out in the wilderness. Make paths straight for the Lord. Clean up your hearts. Get baptized. Repent and believe because the king is coming. One who is mightier than me. The man, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. He's coming. Get ready. The one you've been waiting for, he's coming. And then Jesus arrives. Like no other king who's ever arrived in history. In humility, in meekness, in grace. He arrives and he's baptized. And what happens at Jesus' baptism? Again, we're thinking in terms of kingship. His genealogy is cemented, right? His right to the throne is declared from heaven. The Father in heaven, the King who sits on the throne of heaven, his voice booms out. It's almost like he's saying, hear ye, hear ye, citizens of earth, listen, the rightful heir of the kingdom is here. He's baptized The Lord sets the crown on his head. He's given power and authority. Your king has arrived. John the Baptist heralds his coming. He arrives and the spirit of God descends on him in power. All power and authority come on him. The father in heaven puts the crown on his head. And before we move into the next part, I just want to ask, we're talking about the power and authority of King Jesus. What kind of power and authority does he have? This goes to the recognition part. I want you to see this. I want you to grasp this in your heart, who you worship. Church, we do not worship a pale, effeminate, Galilean man. We worship a man, the king. He casts out demons. He rebukes diseases. He commands fish to get into nets, and they listen. He speaks to storms, be silent, and they are. He is the king of the world. He is the king of heaven, and he desperately wants to be king of your life. He is powerful. He has all authority to rule and reign. Do you see his authority? He is not weak, but he does not use his authority to crush or subjugate his subjects. He invites them. He's a cruel dictator. He's left a a wake of, of death and destruction in his path, exploiting and enslaving people for his pleasure. He uses power the way that most worldly rulers use power, to exploit, to manipulate, to control by the prince of this world. A battle of wills is to take place. You can read about it in Luke chapter 4. Satan seeks to deceive Jesus. He tries to manipulate Jesus, to trick Jesus into using his power to serve himself rather than serve others. Worship me. Look at all these kingdoms. Look at this wealth. I'm over it. I'll give it to you. Just bow and worship me. Surrender to me. Jesus will not surrender. Satan, you shall worship God alone and none other shall you. And Jesus says, Satan, don't test me. You shall not test the Lord. Don't test me. I know the plans I have, and you don't get to learn them yet. Get out of here. 
Get out of here. You see, Jesus knew rule and reign. He will not surrender his power. And this is the rub here. When we start talking about the power of Jesus, we all love to read about his power, casting out demons, healing the sick, establishing his rule in his hometown. In Luke 4, he goes back home. He opens up the scroll of Isaiah and he reads to his people, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up, to establish his throne. I'm like, get in or, or die. That's how, that's how our king's coming. He's coming. The Romans, they're, they're, they're in serious trouble. Our king's going to deal with them. And Jesus told you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. When the heavens were shut up three years and six months, a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath, a foreigner in the land of Sidon, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. How does King Jesus deal with rebels? Does he crush them? Does he threaten them with violence? Power and authority with you. Jesus comes with an invitation. He doesn't come with an inquisition. Do y'all know about the Spanish Inquisition? It was this time in Spain where there was a new monarchy that was consolidating already, but I just, I can't get over it. It leaves me speechless. This is Jesus speaking in the vision that he gave to John, King Jesus. He says, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. Power and then at his end of term, he's like, okay, who's next guy up? If you've seen Hamilton, King George sings a song about it. He's like, I, didn't aware, I wasn't aware that was a king, something a king could do or whatever. He's shocked by it. We've seen people give power and authority away a little bit. Repent of your sin and your desire for independence from God. Put Jesus on the rightful throne of your heart. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Look at him. He's beautiful. He's amazing. Recognize his power. Realign your life under his rule. Here, who has yet not realized their captivity to sin, that you would awaken them right now. Make them aware of the slavery that they're in so that they might be free, that they might come to you and be found. And Father, for those of us, and we'll see you next week.